All right, so not that it's 100% big deal. Like, we're pretty flexible people. I mean, not physically flexible, but flexible uh, <laughs> with plans. Uh, my goal is that on Easter, my Easter sermon is going to try and do this. Simple gospel, as clearly as I can, in 30 minutes, okay? Not to try and show off, but to, <laughs> but to say, like, hey, this has been good for me to try and, like, let's piece this together. And out, there's at a million different ways to present the gospel from the Bible. So by no means am I saying, like, this is the way you should do it. But I want to test myself to see, like, hey, can I do this? Like, can I present this in a way that, one, for those of us who do believe, still captures our, our hearts to say, like, wow, that's a big deal. But then to say, like, if we have uh, invited family members, friends on Easter, which tends to be one of the Sundays that people are willing to go to church, uh, that they might be able to hear for the first time something that, you know, doesn't just sound like church talk. That requires them to have their open. I can't do that. I mean, we could maybe blast them with some ears cleaner before, but um, I can't guarantee any of that. But what or I can do, can do right, exactly. So we got a lot of ground to cover. Not going to do a lot of backtracking is the goal this week because, um, as we talked about last week, forgiveness uh, really is blending in. There's a lot of words that you can use to talk about how God is saving us, which is typically the word we're using in this time frame is saved, salvation, those types of things. Maybe rescue if you want to use an R so that it alliterates well uh, with something else. But that's what we like to use. Uh, All of these different things are an aspect into how that functionally works. And we will not fully understand that um, because of the fact that we're the ones that need rescuing. It's a a good thing that somebody else was in charge of the rescue plan uh, because we would have botched it uh, really early on. Um, So I did go through, and we got a bunch of actual, like, Bible, uh, encyclopedia, Bible dictionary uh, definitions. There were a lot of them, and so I just chose one I liked the best. Okay? So that's how it goes. So uh, for forgiveness, it's the wiping out of an offense from memory. It can be affected only by the one affronted or offended. And then once eradicated, the offense, is no, the offense no longer conditions the relationship between the offender and the one affronted, and harmony is restored between the two. Okay? So that's a really good way of succinctly saying what we talked about all last week. Um, is uh, Forgiveness is, as, as it says, it, um, not in this one, debt. Uh, debt is a, a big one where you, you just you, you don't owe me this anymore, okay? Um, and it it is the clearing of that to the extent that that fact no longer plays a part in how you treat that person that offended you, uh, which is also what you hope for if you're the one that did something that offended somebody else. Is that okay? I asked for forgiveness and you said sure. Now. Whatever that offense was, it's not like it didn't happen. We're not playing pretend here, but it is stopping the what will be the ongoing. I'm going to hurt you back. You hurt me back, or I'm not going to talk to you anymore. All of these things that we do, which some of those are legitimate things and boundaries you should have, particularly with someone who is not asking for forgiveness, right? 
You know, you, you might need to say, like, oh, yeah, I'm done hanging out with you. Like, if you're just going to be a jerk to me all the time and never say sorry and think you're doing fine, then I, I don't, I'm not going to spend time with you anymore. But when someone says, you know what, I did something that's wrong, and when we're going to get into this process today, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And then you say yes, you can no longer use that as a way that you, for a reason of how you treat. That doesn't mean, even when you forgive someone, that your relationship doesn't change. Because here's the deal. This is what drives me up a wall. So I'm going to put it in a recording and hope that you guys will magically, through the Holy Spirit, <laughs> find this recording anytime this happens to you. Uh, but when when we have an issue where there's a disagreement or an offense happening, if you talk to both parties separate, so many times they just say, I wish it would go back to the way it was before. Right? Which is what we think forgiveness is. Just say, as pretend that never happened, go back to the way it was before. But here's the deal. The way it was before meant that when that offense happened, that this was the outcome. You don't want to go back to the way it was before. The way it was before, your relationship was terrible in at least one aspect, that when someone said something snarky to you, you lost your mind. Okay, You don't want to go back there. So you will make changes. Forgiveness doesn't say we're not making changes. Forgiveness says, like, hey, that's all right. Moving forward, though, how can we not do that again? Like, we can't just pretend like things didn't happen and go back to the way it was before. right? We have to make changes. Okay, So that's important to note. And then uh, there's still a little bit more into this uh, definition. I'll put the footnote up there, too. The Bible stresses both human forgiveness and divine forgiveness, and the latter divine forgiveness is the divine act by which the removal of sin and its consequences is affected. Okay? Cindy would like to pass the mic. <laughs> All right. Since you jumped there, because I wasn't even going to go that far yet. Mm -hmm. I was going to wait for you. I wasn't going to go that far. So um, for those of you who were here before class started, um, I had mentioned that I had an upper hand in class last week because I wasn't here. So I was able to pause the recording, go do some digging, go do some, you know, praying about it, connect with God on it. So um, there was some very interesting stuff, though, that happened right away. And literally, Caleb, within moments of you starting to speak on it. So right away, Caleb had said, what's the difference or basically, what's the difference between forgiveness and salvation? And I was like, well, that's interesting. And I paused. And I said, let's go look up the definition of forgiveness and the definition of salvation. Now, my definition is like 400 words less than yours. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so I found, in just a general sense, right? Because that's what I'm looking for, mm -hmm. is Merriam-Webster's definition of a word. Um, forgiveness was listed as two separate things. Canceling a debt. And stopping being angry. And so I thought that that was so interesting that they brought that up because it's not only about, like you said, canceling a debt where we think of it like, oh, you've done wrong to me and I'm going to forget about it. But in a situation like you're talking about right now where there is no repentance, right? Mm -hmm. It is choosing to say, okay, you're not holding up your end of the bargain, but I'm not going to be angry about it. And so I thought about... The, praying about it and God basically said so then you had said in the thing like how does God you know um, 
how does God do that? And so I was like, one of the very first things that I had written down was that he was slow to anger. Right. And so the more I started listing these qualities in the Psalms that you said, the more I realized that God forgives us. God forgives us in everything because he looks at us like toddlers because we're like little children to him that he loves so immensely much. And he realizes that we just don't get it. And so he wanted a way he knew we kept making wrongs, but he wanted a way to be able to stop being angry about it because it kept making him angry. You see that a lot in the Old Testament. And he wanted a way to just get rid of it. Which leads us to your second definition there, which brought me to salvation, right? Because so I started this whole thing like forgiveness versus salvation. Salvation was defined as the deliverance from the consequence, right? So in my brain at first, I was like forgiveness versus salvation. And instantly it was like not versus. Forgiveness leads to salvation because it was the deliverance of the consequence, and I'm going to go a little ahead of you here because last you week you also, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you went there though. Well, yeah, um, I did that in particular. Cause okay. Of, cause you were going there. Going, but. Um, but then I thought it was interesting because last week you mentioned writing something on the board and that one of those words was redemption. So I was like, well, now I'm intrigued. What's redemption? Yeah, we're going to do that this week. Okay, I'll be quiet. Yeah. Okay. You can talk about um, there. <laughs> so yeah, I thought that, I mean, it was really like a pivotal thing where it was like my brain was like, forgiveness is canceling a debt or stop being angry. Okay. And then it was like, how does that work? But then to realize that salvation was something separate, it was actually deliverance from the consequence of your choice. Like you've made this choice to owe me money, right? You made the choice to get the loan on your car. You've made the choice to not pay for it, pay for it. I'm supposed to take back your car. But instead of taking back your car, I'm going to cancel your debt and I'm going to give you your car back, Uh right? Like you won't now lose your car. So, I mean, it was really like a very, like you said, I mean, just a little bit ago, how it's just like gives you a a renewed vision of what it was. Like I knew this, but it was just like, wow, that's pivotal. I think it's pretty cool that it, like if the gospel was just to forgive your sins, like that'd be good enough, right? Yeah, but that's not a, that's it not that's not even like scratching the surface. It is one thing. Yes, we're gonna keep moving because I'm sure a lot of what we want to talk about is actually contained in these other things. Yes. Okay, and that yeah. way we don't have to spend okay. a third week on it. But sure. we can talk about it as we as we go on. So as we talk can about, can I give voices? Yeah, sure. Okay, it, it can work both ways because in a way you look at salvation as what actually leads to forgiveness. Because mm-hmm. if we had not, if it had not been for Jesus' sacrifice. For us, his death and resurrection, oh, yeah, we could not be forgiven. Mm-hmm. So it works both ways. Yep. No, I stopped. You're, you're right, but it I works stopped. both ways. <laughs> I, I yeah. had to stop because Caleb made Yes. It is. So one of the things that we need to talk about is for forgiveness. There, There is like, I don't know if there's a, a good word for it. If you know a word for it, you can let me know. But there, there is like this like imitation type of forgiveness that is your best option if you have someone that doesn't want to repent but that is not forgiveness because you're not let you're not letting that offense go because they didn't ask right so we talk about that and a lot of times pastors will say something like well you need to forgive that person they never ask for forgiveness and they think they're right so i'm not gonna forgive i i can't do this but there's something you can do which is you can choose to not become bitter you can choose to not hold a grudge you can choose to not dwell on it. You can choose 
to move past it and then just accept that the relationship has changed and position yourself for the possibility that they might ask for forgiveness. Like, that's the best you can do, okay? Continue to bless, because mm-hmm. that was a big one that God still yeah. does. Sorry, I had to say that. Yeah. Continues to bless and help. Yep. You know. So, that being the case, in order for true forgiveness to take effect, is that there's got to be something that happens before that. So, first of all, we have confess, okay? This means to acknowledge or admit to one's wrongdoing. It's literally what it means. I know that everybody that's grown up in church is like, is to say the same thing about your sin as God does. But sure, I mean, like, if you want to phrase it that way, because it's an easy way to remember, sure. But to confess literally just means to admit that you did wrong, okay? Uh, It doesn't even mean that you feel bad about it. A confession of, I just shot that guy, doesn't mean that you thought it was bad or that you shouldn't have done it. It just, you're, you're stating the facts. I did do that. And if, you know, you or the people around you say, that's a bad thing, that's a confession. That's literally, like, what confess means. Uh, depending on your Bible translation, the word confess uh, is used either really widely or not, hardly at all. So I'm not going to tell you, like, because I didn't go through, there's many Hebrew and Greek words for most of these words we're talking about today, okay? That have various aspects within the thing. We're just talking about the English concept, Okay. Um, but in Leviticus 16, that's probably a little small for you guys to read, but I'll try and help you read it. Uh, Leviticus 16, 20 through 22, uh, uh, which Michael preached on Leviticus last year, right? Yeah, okay. Two years ago? Right, Exodus was last year, so two years ago. It's still online, so you can go find it. Uh, when he has finished making atonement, which we'll get there. Okay, that's another word for later. For the most holy place, the tent of meeting in the altar, he is to present the live male goat. Aaron will lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the Israelites' iniquities and rebellious acts, all their sins. Put it on the goat's head, send it away into the wilderness by the man appointed for the task. The goat will carry all their iniquities into a desolate land. Okay, so here I have the act of confessing marked in green, and the forgiveness aspect inside this, underlined. The goat's going to carry away the iniquity. Like, the iniquity is literally going outside the camp. Okay? Which means then there's nothing to prevent the relationship between Israel and their God. Okay? Now, we get it. This is symbolic, right? This isn't like the, the goat is taking a literal load of sin but like that is the picture of what god is choosing to do with it but there's first the act of confession there's also the whole thing of you know uh atonement thing we're gonna get there but confessing is like the first step in having forgiveness be a an actual uh eventuality is that the person who did wrong needs to say i did it i did wrong okay then the second thing, which is closely related to confession, uh, is, oops, just kidding. <laughs> I got more verses. Okay. Proverbs, Proverbs 28, 13, uh, the one who conceals his sins, so the one that pretends like it's not a thing, uh, will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. Okay. Forgiveness type language there. James five sixteen. therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for another so that you may be healed. All right? 
So, like, this is like, yes, I, I, I don't do it right. And then you pray for each other, and then there's always that big conversation in James chapter 5, just healing, spiritual healing, and we're not just, today's class is not about that, so we're just going to move on. Uh, but it's, it's still showing, like, confession will lead to a positive outcome, right? First John 1, 8 through 10, which were real, no, no, first John 1, 9, real good, but I thought it was interesting, the ones around it. If we say we have no sin, so we pretend like we're, we're not sinning, and we don't need to admit that we've done anything wrong, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous, or just, depending on your translation, to forgive our, our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Okay? So, the, the obvious contrast there between us saying, no, I didn't do anything wrong, to, yes, I did this and I did this wrong. What the Bible teaches is that the people who say, like, I didn't do anything wrong, I've got nothing to ask for forgiveness for, are not going to end up being forgiven because they have no, they have no wrongs, and they're calling God a liar for saying that they did something wrong. So, holding and concealing your sin instead of bringing it out into the light and saying, yes, I did that, has a different outcome. Confession, although it seems real anti-our nature to say, I was wrong, leads to a better outcome because then our wrongs get taken away. So then we, in effect, in our relationship to God, have no wrongs, which is what we want in the first place. We want to not be wrong. <laughs> we want to not be doing the wrong thing. But instead of pretending like we have no wrongs and saying, I don't have anything to ask for forgiveness for, well, then God's got nothing to forgive you for. Except that yeah, you, yeah, you did a bunch of wrong things that are now yours because you're not willing to confess them so that they can be taken away. Okay? You might be going here. I'm question, this is a question I have. Mm -hmm. um, well, feel free to ask it because if it is where I'm going next, okay. we'll, we'll be perfect. It's a great, okay. great transition. So my question is, uh, like my brain right now is like, okay, so confession versus repentance. Yes. So we're literally okay. where we're going. Good. I'm glad that the way I frame these slides is making you ask those questions because okay. you're like, because I'm over here going, you can't just confess. Uh -huh. like, you can't just say I did it wrong. And exactly. Then you're all good to go. Exactly. Because that, you can't. You're gonna just keep doing it wrong. Exactly. Right. Right. Okay. So, so confession <laughs> is a necessary thing. I don't want us to think like confession is like a second-rate thing. It's really important. It's important because one, you're you're realizing that you did something wrong. You're admitting that you're doing something wrong. Now, the hopeful step that if, you know, now as New Testament believers, the Holy Spirit's going to tell you, like, you shouldn't do that, <laughs> that it will lead you somewhere else, right? Well, hopefully it's not like, oh, I realized I did something wrong, and I'm willing to admit that I did it, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's a completely different attitude. Like, it doesn't follow, right? That's not the path. And so if we think about the path of forgiveness and the path of salvation— you know, obviously all this stuff is kind of happening simultaneously, but that is not how that works, right? You can't just say, sure, I did something wrong. What are you going to do about it? Well, that's where you thought. That's where judgment will come. That's where you thought redemption That's where you thought redemption was a little different because I would say that confessing is the knowledge or admitting to one's actions, uh -huh. right? Because I guess in my brain, like admitting that it's wrong means that you are now going to repent because you've got to have that mind. Again, that that, that, that would be what logically should fall. That it was wrong. Okay, I've I'm known people who, who are willing to admit that and not right. care to change. But right. because they don't think it's wrong. 
Yeah, they're, they're like, right. you think it's wrong, but... Right. Okay, sorry. I'll let you go ahead. All right. So then, right. now that since we're, we're two there, we're going to go to repent, okay? And then we can... These two go hand in hand. Confession and repentance go hand in hand, and it's also what the person who is doing the wrong does. Right. A lot of this other stuff is what we do in response to someone who confesses and repents. Um, and specifically what God does to us because we aren't as good as God. But if someone were to confess and repent, so, okay, I don't have a bunch of animations on this, which is good. <laughs> All right, so to repent, uh, repentance is an act of acknowledging past wrongdoing, okay? So that would be like confession. So like if you want to just put confession in the definition of repent, go for it, okay? But then repentance goes further. It's like expressing regret or contrition, saying I shouldn't have. It's, it's one thing to say you did something wrong. It's another thing to say I shouldn't have done the wrong. Yeah. Right? Uh, and then uh, committing to the right behavior and obedience to God. It is a transformative process that involves turning away from sin or transgression and turning back to God. This comes from Lexham Theological Word Book, <laughs> which is such a great title. I love that it has it and turning back to God into it. Though. Yeah. So repentance. Confession is saying... Yes, I did that. Okay? Repentance is saying, I did this. I shouldn't have done that. I feel bad that I did that. And I want to do whatever the right version of what you should have done in the first place. Right? It's the identifying of, in that situation, I chose to do the wrong thing. What would have been the right thing to do would have been to do this. That's what I want to do now, moving forward. I'm committing to doing that instead of what I did. Okay? In the biblical sense, is to say, like, okay, so I lied in this situation because it made me feel better. And I shouldn't have lied. I feel bad about the fact that I lied. Instead, I should have told the truth in love, right? And you're saying, you know, God's way actually is better than mine. So I shouldn't have done my own thing. I should have done what God said to do, and I didn't do that. I feel bad about that. I shouldn't have chosen the wrong path I should have chosen the right path and now I, I want you to know I want to take the right path and this is going to be like the state of our being for for the rest of our lives is you're going to realize oh I didn't take the path I didn't make the choice that God wanted me to do in that situation I, I messed it up because you're a sinner you don't meet God's glory that's just how it is right but then you can say, but I don't want to do that. I want to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to commit to doing that. So a lot of times pastors will say repentance is a 180 degree turn unless they don't know anything about geometry and then they say 360. Um, <laughs> it's not always a 180 degree turn, but it is the idea of turning back. So let's say you're taking a trip in your car and your GPS is being ridiculous and you can't understand what it's saying. And uh, you, you turn down this side street, and then it's, like, rerouting. You're like, you told me to turn here. <laughs> uh, but then, like, you just, like, well, forget it. You just go up, and you make a U-turn, you come back to the right road, and you go the, go the other way, even though the GPS was telling you something different. Not that this has happened to me any time recently. <laughs> that, that turning around of saying, like, I'm going this way, and then realizing this is the wrong way, and you turn back to get to where you're supposed to and then choose to go go the right direction, that's what the word picture of repentance is. Um, I didn't put in a million verses uh, in here uh, because there's so many. Uh, but I did put in here, the, my observations is 
not to say that the word doesn't occur, but it occurs heavily in the prophets. When the prophets are talking to Israel, and they, they've turned away from God, worshiping their own gods, relying on their own, their own selves to sustain them, because they're in the land, and they felt like God's promises said that they were going to be in the land forever, so, like, who cares? Like, what's he going to do? Right? So they're doing their own thing, and the, and the prophets continually come and say, just turn back. Stop doing what you're doing. And, and, like, at any point, you can just say, hey, we're done worshiping Baal, and go back to worshiping God, and God's going to forgive you. But if you don't repent, if you don't turn away from what you're doing, there's not going to be forgiveness to be had. So it gets heavily pushed in in uh, the uh, prophets. I think there's a there's a there's another the next one is heavy in Isaiah. This one might also be heavy in Isaiah. But it gets picked up heavy in the prophets, but it carries its way all the way into the New Testament. Okay, the Gospels um, talk about it a lot. John the Baptist's message is repent for the kingdom of, and Jesus repent because the kingdom of God has come. Right? It it, it is saying you're like you you're not on the right road. So backtrack till you get to the right one, get on the right one, and stay there. And it gets carried heavily into uh, the Acts where the apostles are out teaching. When people ask, so what are we supposed to do to be saved? Like at Pentecost, the question the crowd asks Peter and says, repent. Believe in Jesus, be baptized, and you will be saved. That is, the, the, you're, just, you're, like, you're doing the wrong thing. So figure out that you're doing the wrong thing. Say, I'm doing the wrong thing. I want to do the right thing. Backtrack, get on the right thing, and go do it. Like, that's what it is. You know, a lot of times we make repentance into this big, spooky, weird thing, uh, or, like, it's not a big deal, which I don't understand, but there, there are people out there, they're like, repentance isn't the biggest thing. It, it, it's literally just another word picture of changing your behavior to match up with what God says is right. You're admitting that what God says is right is right, and what you say is right doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to do what God says is right. So repent in a situation where you're asking for forgiveness. You're going to say, I did something that was wrong. I realized it was wrong. I feel bad about it. I hurt you. I don't want to do that. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to do the thing God tells me not to do. What I do want to do is what God wants to do. And if you're apologizing specifically in marriage, it would be a great time for you to say, I should have, and then put the right thing and that identifies the whole thing you're turning around and you're saying like yeah boy i turned down the wrong road my bad and you're turning around okay and you get back on the road and you say all right now from here let's go the right way until we make another wrong turn and make another u-turn <laughs> you know that's just how it goes uh, uh we're gonna do oh you've got the mic though so yeah cheryl can go first okay so uh, in a sense, true true confession would actually include repentance because First mm -hmm. John one nine says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins mm -hmm. and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in a way, it's not like true uh, true mm -hmm. confession. But and I think of an example on the other end, which we don't know for sure. But okay, Joshua when Achan decided he was going to take the stuff he wasn't mm -hmm. supposed to take, okay. And then he admitted it, but we don't really know. Did he repent, or did he just just? Oh mm -hmm. yeah, I, I got caught. So yeah, that, this is what I did, uh, Joshua. I did it. Yep. So, but in in a sense, for us, true confession should always include repentance. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It, it, I I would argue 
if someone said, well, I confess my sin, but they have no intent of changing their behavior, I'd be like, I don't know, man. I don't know that that... that, But, you know, if we were just talking strictly English terms, sure, they did. But then they better keep confessing when they keep doing it. But but yes, confession that comes from conviction from the Holy Spirit will lead to repentance because... Otherwise, it, it it doesn't it doesn't serve it doesn't do anything. Exactly. Go ahead. Um, I think that it's interesting because you like you said you could confess like yep I did that but if you don't see it as wrong then you like so what I did it who cares and you can say it's wrong and you know if I don't agree if I don't agree that God is sovereign and that His rules are right mm-hmm. and wrong then what I did is not right or wrong that takes us back mm-hmm. to subjective morality right. Um, but I thought one of the greatest things that I heard about repentance that really changed my perspective of it and gave me a little better understanding of it was to agree that God's way is the right way. And so, you know, you are listening to your GPS and you go down the wrong road and you go back. If you're turning the way she tells you to turn, then at that point, you have agreed that she knows where you're going. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you turn the opposite direction, right, you can say, yeah. oh, this wasn't the right road, and then go down and go the wrong way again, mm-hmm. right? The idea of repentance is to agree that God's way is the right way, and then, like you said, to choose that way, right, to make sure that those are the actions and the thoughts we're going to take, which is super cool. I just want to mention this because this is something that God really gave me, and it was so pivotal. I had to write it on the front of my Deep Dives notebook, guys, because this was, like, literally the whole thing. So we're called to be holy as God is holy. And so repentance means that we have to do as he does, think as he thinks, and love as he loves. And that was, like, so, like, I mean, it seems so simple. And it's not like it's something that we didn't know already, right? But it's, like, when you really take that into something you don't want to do, forgiveness, right, that person who hurt you, you don't want to do it. But God says, this is what I do for you. I do it for you. I think this way about you, and I love you this way. And we made that choice as Christians to be holy. But then, to Cheryl's point, when you're dealing with people who, have not made that choice. The rules are different, right? The rules are different because you can't say to them, well, what you're doing is wrong because they're like, who says, right? So we have to keep that in mind too and we're dealing with people who aren't, who haven't made that commitment. Well, the only, the only strength we have for true repentance is through Christ. We can't, yes. we can't really truly repent, um, you know, so without that. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. We do... Do have some time, so we're still, we're still we're still doing okay. We're still doing pretty good. Next one, this is what is um, we're entering into now. A whole bunch of words that you'll hear people talk like we'll say this. They'll be in songs, but there's like not this one has a, a ton of references to redemption in in the in the Bible. But some of these, like honestly, are like small portions of the Bible. Um, but they're important pictures because either an apostle in the New Testament that's writing uh, a book of the Bible is talking about it and is using it for a metaphor, a word picture of some sort that is important to understand what aspect of salvation, this whole big thing that we're just going to pretend like we can just use one word for, uh, that this is the one thing that is aspect. So redemption, uh, according to like some theological word book, is deliverance from a situation or from enemies. Most often, this involves paying a price to buy back 
the person or thing, the buyback is in quotes because that's like the like most like literal, you know, idea behind that word to buy back the person or thing that is being ransomed. Uh, the word most frequently expresses the process of delivering someone from slavery or exchanging a ransom for something that belongs to God, such as the firstborn child in the family, which we talked about in Leviticus two years ago. Is that the firstborn child of a family? They had to take an offering to the temple. I don't remember which funds. I'm not going to get myself into trouble. Michael can tell you later. <laughs> um, but it's you. You ransom. You buy back your your son, your firstborn son. I thought, but but either way, firstborn. Uh, belong, the first fruits belong to God, but it's your kid. <laughs> so in order to get it back, you got to go say like, God, we're going to give you the offering you've asked for in exchange for taking back my firstborn kid. Okay, so that's the the redemption. There, there's a typically a financial uh, situation that gets done. Um, also, redemption um, doesn't say this in here. Probably did in the second or fourth paragraph of this definition. But uh, is also the same idea for uh, what Boaz did for Ruth. Uh, she was um, a widow, and then she, the kinsman redeemed the closest kinsman that was capable of taking care of. This widow was supposed to marry her and then, you know, in, in effect, redeem her from the situation that she was in of being unprotected within society. Her kinsmen, closest kinsmen, didn't want to do it, so they shook shoes at each other. <laughs> That's just my favorite part. And then Boaz ends up redeeming her, right? Uh, so he, he takes over financially for this thing. So there's a lot, and there's a lot of different terms used in redemption, uh, like the word ransom, that that's the price paid in order to achieve redemption. Redemption is this whole physical thing. Um, my one passage that I have written down specifically as it relates to Jesus and re redemption uh, is that for even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. You know, the firstborn be belongs to God and you, have, you pay a ransom to bring back the firstborn. But Jesus is saying, he's that sacrifice, that he's the ransom. He's not the one being redeemed, the firstborn being redeemed. He's the sacrifice so that the people can be redeemed. And he's saying that, like, that's literally, like, this is like one sign is like, this is what Jesus came to do. Uh, but, you know, other places, he can save those who were lost, but, you know, this is the, I gave my, I'm coming to give my life as a ransom to buy you people back from your situation you need delivering from. Um, you'll see this play out a lot, especially in like Romans and stuff, uh, in relation to terms of slavery. Oh, and it's not something we like to talk about here in America because we really botched the whole slavery thing. Um, and uh, we, don't, we don't like to deal with it, but again, rem remembering that the law had, slavery was um, an outcome of a financial situation of a large portion of time, not only because sometimes you just capture a nation and they became slaves, but um, there were still processes to be bought out of slavery, and you could work off your debt, and you could be released from slavery. Uh, but this is why this term gets used a lot with slavery is because that's the kind of slavery that we're talking about, not, oh, you're the wrong colored skin, and we we decided to make you our workforce. That's not the kind of slavery that we're talking about, okay? Uh, so... Uh, that's what the term redemption is. It's um, I think that 
the um the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, is like in Isaiah like forty seven times or something absurd like that. Uh, so this one is throughout again. A lot of these things have uh, get picked up he- much more heavily in the prophets because they realize the heart problem that people are having, and then it gets pictured into into Jesus into the New Testament. Uh, and then they say, like, this is the effects, right? So uh, I didn't want to steal too much from Isaiah because Michael's preaching Isaiah right now. Uh, but that's uh, redemption. So, Cindy? Um, okay, you, you stopped me, so I'm just going to continue from where I was before. So we had forgiveness, was canceling the debt or stopping being angry, which gave us deliverance from our consequences. And then redemption comes from those things and it was defined miriam webster as to regain possession of something for clearing your debt so i was like that's interesting what's that what do we get we get our inheritance we get what god gave back to us what what we lost in our sin was our inheritance our ability to be with him in him and with him Um, But I thought it was really cool because I had this whole like word picture of like forgiveness leads to salvation, leads to redemption. But I was like, that doesn't work because (laughs) God said, right, because God's just, right? And And like I said, this is something we've all known, but it was so just pivotal because God said there has to be like there. He already said there's punishment for what you've done wrong. So he wants to cancel our debt. He's like, I really want to cancel your debt because I love you. And I want to give you deliverance from those consequences, which would be death. And I want to give you back your inheritance that you lost in this. Something has to be done. So in my mind, I was like, oh, this is like this whole fancy straight line. And then I was like, but that doesn't work. We have to do something else. Which then, you mentioned in the last class too, propitiation. Yeah, we're going to get there. Yes. That's where we're going next. I just right. thought it was so Next awesome. Line. It was so cool. Yeah, perfect. Sorry, it was just no, really cool. No, no, you're, you're tracking. It's, it's great. <laughs> it's so cool. It's, it's, it's fun that, uh, you know, not that you're like, no, it's about time soon you got it right. No, but like, it, <laughs> it's, it's nice It's nice to know that like, you know, as we as we read the Bible and we actually stop and think for a minute about all these different terms instead of just throwing them out all over the place, yeah. like, it fits. Like, and, and there there are, there are crossroads and like things have to happen at the same time and like, we're like oh, it's a good thing god is not locked into our <laughs> three dimensions you know like he, he he's capable of doing them in the right order at the right time with yeah. with the right purposes so in in order to have this we have this other concept of atonement um uh, these next the next uh, three slides are all related so we're gonna blast through them okay right. atonement uh is a in Leviticus, we have the, like, the Day of Atonement. This is uh, the act by which God and man are brought together in a personal relationship. So the Day of Atonement was about um, dealing with the unclean, unclean thing, making things clean again, removing the filth. I forget how exactly Michael put it, but that that's kind of the, the stuff. There's there's too much going on here, and we got to clean it up. Okay, uh, The... Word atonement, just for the sake of knowing where it comes from, is actually not Greek or Hebrew or anything. It, it, uh, it's Anglo-Saxon, two words, put it, make at one, which is at one mint, is how that works. Um, it presupposes, this is where, where I really want to get to, using the word atonement presupposes that there's a separation or alienation that needs to be overcome. There's something that's a problem, there's something getting in the way. Um if human be- it's to overcome if human beings are to know God and have fellowship with him, which is the whole point of the Day of Atonement is like every day, like, you know, we do the the 
typical sacrifices and stuff, but like once a year we gotta do this other thing so that we can continue this next year coming into the temple so we can have fellowship with God. Okay, so there's a, there's a sacrifice which Jesus alludes to when, by saying that He's the ransom because there's a sacrifice in order to redeem something. Uh, it was sometimes a financial thing, but in the case that He just said, "I'm giving my life as a ransom," it was actually a sacrifice involved uh, of an offering, and He says, "My life is going to be that." Um, the, I just by way of note. The atonement picture is where we get, like, all of the blood phrases. I'm not going to cover those because most of those, like, if you just stop talking in cryptic language, you'd be okay. But uh, in case, in case, you know, there's, like, are you washed in the blood is a song, we might sing that, um, okay? But, like, this is the concept. This is the theological concept where we get these sort of things from, okay? From these sacrificial things and stuff like that, okay? Uh, the actual word atonement... I mean, the real word atonement doesn't, but, like, atonement doesn't occur all that often in the Bible, except for in relationship to the Day of Atonement and some of the uh, sacrificial systems. So that's why I just wrote, like, it's all pretty much in Leviticus, okay? That's not to say that it's not anywhere else, but these, like I said, these three words are all related, and so depending on your translation, you'll probably see these other ones more frequently. So the next one that's closely related to, so there's a separation or alienation that needs to be overcome in order to have fellowship with God. The next one is propitiation. Okay, there's only, if you're using, I think, King James or some other translations, I think the word in Hebrew is actually a different word, but it could be maximum four times used in the New Testament. Um, So this is, propitiation means the appeasing of the wrath of a deity by prayer or sacrifice when a sin or offense has been committed against him. This... um, in the New Testament era, uh, and presumably before that as well, uh, but propitiation is a word that was used by other like pagan religions. Their gods would get mad at them, send a storm, they'd do something to appease their wrath. And so there are some theologians and Bible translators that don't like to use that word because of the connotation of where it came from. Okay, So they like to use some other fancy English word that we don't use, like expiate. Or, um, in the in the CSB, some of these have mercy seat as a uh, as a translation. Um, and I, like I said, like atonement and propitiation go a lot hand in hand. Um, but when you see in Romans three twenty five, Hebrews two seventeen, First John two two and four ten, where it talks about Jesus being our propitiation. Okay. Now, it might not say that because you might be using a more modern translation. Totally fine. But that concept of propitiation means uh, my, my Bible professor uh, said that it, like, it means the smoothing out of one's face. So uh, if you have someone that ever gets mad at you and they wrinkle up their face, like it, it literally means to like, smooth out those wrinkles so to remove the wrath so that they have a pleasant countenance towards you. Okay, So that's the kind of concept we're going on with. Uh, it's, again, this word isn't used a lot, but that picture, God's wrath on sin is everywhere in the Bible. And the, the, the satisfaction of his wrath is the needed piece of the puzzle. And what the, the gospel writers that, uh, and, the, and Paul are saying is Jesus was that. Jesus satisfied God's wrath. And then you have great details throughout a lot in the New Testament about how it is that Jesus' death on the cross satisfied God's wrath on your sin. 
and that's that's a huge picture, and like it's such a great picture that uh, you know we've decided to wrap it up in one word: propitiation. Uh, that we don't use. So, uh, just in case you're coming across this and you're like, "What in the world?" It, like you could just say like Jesus took away God's wrath on our sin, and that, there you go. You don't even have to use the word propitiation. But what you do need to know is that's a very important concept in the whole salvation thing because our sin deserves wrath. Our sin deserves wrath that leads to death. Jesus has to come in and say, I'll take that away from you. Okay? Which then leads to the next one. Like I said, all three of these kind of have to go hand in hand. If we got somebody that's making God not mad at us anymore (laughs) by sacrificing himself as a redemption and an atonement for us, this then is what enables reconciliation to be the case. Reconciliation is a word that we use on, in limited concepts, but at least it's not a foreign one, and it's not used completely differently now than it was uh, when it's used in the Bible. Reconciliation means the restoration of friendly relationships and the peace where there used to be hostility and alienation. So atonement says, hey, there's a problem, there's a gap here, right? That presupposes that something needs to happen. Propitiation is... The act by which that alienation can be overcome, reconciliation is the result of that alienation being overcome, is now your friends again. Reconciliation is taking someone that currently or recently was your enemy and now your friends. And this is what God does with us through Jesus. Uh, so it also, you know, is this definition, it includes the removal of the offense which caused the disruption of peace and harmony. So there's forgiveness involved, right? This is, this is where we want, when things go wrong, this is the outcome we're looking for. Okay? All right, we're now mad at each other. Okay, so let's talk about it. Let's confess and repent of what we did. Ask for forgiveness. Let's make new plans to make adjustments of getting back on the right road. Let's, let's commit to doing that together. And then, you know, a week later, you guys are hanging out and having, having a great time because you're committed to doing things together. Right? That's what we're looking for. And this is what we get in Jesus. Uh, Romans 5 is like one of my favorite chapters. I know you're not probably supposed to have a favorite chapter. Um, but Romans 5 is one of my favorite chapters. I didn't see anything in the Bible about that. And I feel like Romans covers that if it's not in the Bible, you're good to go. It's <laughs> okay with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so Romans 5, uh, the whole uh, the whole chapter is really... Uh, pretty cool, but uh, as we get down into uh, this, uh, we're, we're going to get to this term, justified, next week. Um, verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, a sacrifice, a ransom, atonement, we've been, we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Propitiation. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. And there is a lot that goes into uh, us being God's enemies, being reconciled and made into not just his friends, not just the people he doesn't want to kill in war. We're now his family. We've been adopted into his family. Like, we have that level of reconciliation with the creator of the universe 
that we sinned against and didn't want to have anything to do with. And everything that goes into this, receiving reconciliation, doesn't come from us. The only thing we contribute to this whole thing is the need for it. Okay? So, like, God saw that we were in a, a dire strait, and he said, you know what? They need rescue. So he, go, he goes and makes out of his way, and he redeems us from our situation by sending his son, Jesus, to be the sacrifice so that we could be redeemed. We could be bought back. Okay? So one way that we use the word redeem nowadays is we can redeem a, a gift card or a code, right? It's like, we've got a thing that says that that thing's mine, and at any point we can then go say, I want that. Well, that's what God did, but he had to sacrifice Jesus in order to do that so that he could overcome the gap that we have between us and God. He didn't ask us. I mean, you, you look at the sacrificial system, you can get the wrong idea that God's saying, like, you need to make atone, atonement for your, your sins. And the whole point is, like, you're never going to be able to, but, like, this one thing that you can do is better than nothing. But God's, God's saying, like, that's not going to cut it. So God sends a ransom. To redeem us, an atoning sacrifice to overcome the gap so that he can be with us, so we can be with him. He then uh, says, I am ready when this sacrifice is being made to remove my wrath from you by putting it somewhere else. And because of that, I'm doing this all so that you can be with me and be my family. Like, notice how none of this is us being like, you know, even the, like, confessing and repenting and asking for forgiveness thing. Boy, doesn't, if we don't have this kind of person on the other end of that equation, it doesn't matter. If you don't have someone that is willing at great cost of himself to put away his own anger, to say, sure, I'll forgive you, and not dependent on your next course of action, just say, like, sure, I'll save you, I will rescue you, I will deliver you. If you don't have that kind of person on the other end of that equation, it doesn't matter how sorry you are. It doesn't matter how much you recognize what you did was wrong. It doesn't matter how much you commit to doing the right thing. Because if you don't have this person on the other side of the equation, you don't end up with reconciliation. You end up with a big mess. So next week, we're going to talk about what happens when we confess our sin, when we do choose to believe that what God is doing here can result in our reconciliation. There's a whole bunch of things that happen to those kind of people um, and that uh, are also good Christian Eastern. We'll talk about next week. Uh, I don't think this will be the first slide next week, but I already have this one made, uh, is regeneration. Ooh. So you are all dismissed. Thank you. Uh, we'll talk to you next week.